we're going to be continuing our uh, series called Resilience. And uh, the series called Resilient or Resilience uh, has as its emotion the emotion of shame today. And resilience is all about how can we harness difficult emotions to build our faith. So today, considering that we're talking about shame, it is how can we harness shame to build our faith? Uh, let, me, let me define uh, shame. Let's get to there. Resilience is harnessing difficult emotions to build your faith. Now, let me give you a definition of shame. Shame is, the, is a sense of failure when we do not meet expectations, be they their, our own expectations for ourselves or be it somebody else's expectation for us. Have you ever tasted that bitterness of failure? Well, there are negative consequences of shame. First of all, shame can be debilitating. It can cripple us. It can shut us down. We lose our motivation to attempt to achieve something new or something different. So first of all, one of the negative consequences of shame is it can be debilitating. Secondly, shame can cripple relationships. Our shame can injure our personal relationships and we, we don't want to face others, so we, we isolate ourselves. That can be one of the negative results of shame. It cripples relationships. It can also lead us to be judgmental. Our sense of failure can lead us to try to pull other people down to what we consider to be our level. So we can, by doing that, uh, we can have that as a consequence. We can, we can be judgmental in our attitudes. So three things that are negative consequences of shame. First of all, it can be debilitating. Secondly, it can cripple our relationships. And thirdly, it can possibly lead to us becoming more judgmental. But there are, believe it or not, there are positive consequences of shame. Shame can have a positive consequence if it leads to Christ. He took our shame on the cross and set us free. Romans 7, 24 through chapter 8, verse 1 says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Shame always has lessons to teach us whenever it comes. 
The second possibility uh, of shame, of being a positive consequence, is that we can learn some necessary steps to take. Now, for 25 years, I served as a jail chaplain. For 15 of those years, I was a part-time volunteer chaplain in a county jail. Uh, I had, was pastoring a church or churches, and I would ask the congregation, can I take time each week to go to the jail and be a chaplain for them? And I did that for 15 years. Then for 10 years, I became a full-time chaplain and headed up criminal rehab at the DuPage County Jail just on the west side of Chicago. In jail, shame is common. Let me give you an example. A new inmate comes in. They've been uh, heavy into heavy drugs for years. Uh, they've been engaged in various wrongs and dangerous behaviors. Remembered, they remembered little or none of what they had done because they had been stoned continually almost that entire time. But they get sent to jail and they get put into detox. <laughs> this is where they, the idea is that they expel the toxins that have built up in their system over the years. And so they put them into the area of the jail called detox. That consists of a lot of cubicles, steel cubicles. And in those steel cubicles, you have a toilet, you have a sink, you have a steel slab upon which they put a thin mattress, and they have a little desk. And in the door is a slot, and that's how you get your food, through that little slot. And you stay in that steel box and detox. And eventually, the system begins to expel those chemicals that have built up. And that's the idea of detox. Uh, slowly, your memory begins to come back. And you remember things that you haven't even thought of for years. And then you go to court, and the court tells you what you're being accused of, and so you learn what the charges are against you. And as your memory returns and as you hear the charges, shame sets in. You can't believe the depth of the depravity that you have sunk into. Now there are some typical reactions that inmates have to detox. Some reactions are, well, they use drugs as an excuse. I was high. What do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> and so that becomes an excuse. Or guilt sends them into depression. And when they do uh, get out of jail and are released, they go right back to the drugs in order to cover up the memories. Another typical reaction is they will turn to Jesus and confess, repent, and believe and receive him. And they're transformed by Jesus' work on the cross and the new life that he brings. Now there's another 
great lesson that they learn from shame. It's one of my favorite lessons that I like to teach, and that is, if you don't want to get hit by the train, you get off the tracks. That's not hard, but it's a great lesson to learn. The Bible puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you the way out so that you can endure. See, shame can teach you many good lessons about temptation. Now, how we respond to shame is critical. There's two responses that we really need to avoid. The first is shamelessness. That's denial that anybody has done anything wrong or that there is any such thing as wrong. In Romans 124, it describes this phenomenon. It says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. The thinking is, there is no right or wrong, so I have nothing to be ashamed of. That's clever. It's a clever way out. This ploy works until somebody wrongs them, and then the argument is destroyed. So we want to avoid shamelessness, denying that there is anything that is evil. Then you want to, deny, you want to avoid shamefulness. That's when you're stuck in your guilt and you stop pursuing an answer and you become self-loathing and depression sets in. Now you may try different things. You may try working off your, your shame and your guilt. In other words, you, you try to do some things to even the score, if you will. You try working it off. Another thing that a lot of people try is they try to medicate it. <laughs> they, try, they try to go to drugs to cover it up. So you, you can try those. But shame is only good when it leads us to Christ. Now, this is, this is a repeat. But it's, we've already read this, but it is, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now let's look at a famous example. An example of shame. And we'll see how a very well-known biblical hero dealt with tremendous shame, severe shame. And here's the introduction to this hero. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings don't normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, we're talking about King David here. 
who became famous as a teenager for doing what? He killed who? Goliath, the Philistine giant. He was, he was very young when this happened, but he became famous because he killed Goliath. That's the man we're talking about, King David, the most, the most famous of all the Hebrew kings. He followed Saul as king. He was the most successful of the Hebrew kings as a warrior. He wrote much of Psalms, which we use in our worship all the time. He's in the lineage of Christ. But let me tell you the rest of the story. While his troops were engaged in battle, he stayed home one time. Not normally, but this time he stayed home. He stayed away from the battlefield. He sees Bathsheba. He's attracted to Bathsheba. He sends for her to come to him and he sleeps with her. Now you have to remember Bathsheba is the wife of one of his officers. Uriah, he's called. Now David is supposed to be on the battlefield, just like Uriah is on the battlefield. He finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, but things get worse. He tries to cover up his sin by bringing Uriah home to be with Bathsheba and cover up what he has done. But Uriah doesn't cooperate. He doesn't cooperate in David's scheme. Finally, David plots to have Uriah killed in battle, and he takes Bathsheba into his palace as his wife. Now we're thinking, can it get any worse for David? Are you kidding me? He's AWOL from the battle. He launches an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. He launches a failed plot to cover up the whole mess. And when that fails, he comes up with a scheme to eliminate Uriah. And the scheme works. Is there any hope for King David? What a shameful mess. But God intervenes by sending the prophet Nathan to confront the king. And let's read about that confrontation. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There are two men in a certain town. One is rich and one is poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb. It grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. 
he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and have no pity. Now, if you're David, how would you receive this message from the prophet? Well, let's see what, how the message ended. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Now, if you were David and confronted by this, by this prophet, Nathan, how would you receive this message? Well, let's see how David received it. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Well, we learn from this passage that there are consequences for sin. We can't escape legitimate shame. David fasts and prays, uh, prays all week. The child dies. And uh, it tells us that David learned, in, he says in Psalms, what he learned from his shameful acts. Here's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. The writer of the book of Hebrews writes on this message about shame. He says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We are told to run the race that God has set before us with endurance. Now, King David wasn't the only biblical hero who faced shame and its consequences. Moses recognizes the one who led the people, the Hebrews, out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, out of bondage. It's known as the Exodus. But in spite of his amazing feats of valor and faith, Moses had his moments of shame. Moses had a temper that was not easily controlled. For example, he killed an Egyptian guard who was mistreating a Hebrew and had to flee into the wilderness and hide for years rather than going to aid his people. In his fury with the Hebrews' vile activities while he received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, he destroyed the tablets given by God and had to go back and get another set. He led the Hebrews for 40 years of wandering until they stood on the edge of the promised land. They were right on the border of the promised land. 
and he's standing there with his people. They've been wandering for 40 years, and now they're ready to enter the promised land. Again, his temper flared at a command of God, and he disobeyed God's instructions. And God refused to let him in to the promised land. The man who had led them for 40 years, and he, they did it because of his uncontrolled anger. Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Jesus. He was in charge of the finances for the band of followers. He sold out to the Jewish leaders for 30 pieces of silver, telling Jesus' enemies of his whereabouts the night of his arrest. The shame of his betrayal led to his suicide. The apostle Peter was part of the inner circle of the followers of Jesus. But after Jesus' arrest in the garden, Peter snuck into the nighttime trial where when confronted and accused of being a follower of Jesus, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. His shame was so great that the resurrected Jesus had to take considerable time and effort to restore Peter's mind his heart and his shame to the point where Peter could effectively serve the Lord. So, considering the experiences of such biblical folks and their encounters with shame, we better learn how to deal with it wisely. Here is what some things we ought not to do with shame. First of all, don't ignore it. Don't try to hide it. That will get you nowhere. Deal with it. Confess what needs to be confessed. Repent of what needs repentance. Change what needs to be changed with God's help. And learn what lessons need to be learned, remembering that there are always lessons to be learned from shame. Secondly, don't wait, waste time making excuses like, oh, I was high, I was intoxicated, or I was hanging with the wrong people. Some of them or all of them may be true, but you are still responsible for those crimes. Thirdly, don't complain about the negative consequences. It's not that God hasn't warned us. Many times, in many ways, you reap what you sow. He's told us that many times in many ways. If you are negative in your words, if you are negative in your actions, if you are negative in your attitudes, it will at some point turn around and bite you. Now, one of the most helpful and edifying verses with regard to shame is this. Let's go. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. That verse turned my life around. Let me explain. I always had a problem with nerves 
before any stressful situation, before any sports competition, be it track and field, football, baseball, rugby, before tests, before speaking in front of a crowd, like today. I would get up tight, sometimes to the point of being ill. At the least, I would be hyper-nervous. Sometimes I would actually be sick to my stomach. I couldn't wait for the gun to go off or the official to blow the whistle so I could settle down and focus on the game or whatever. It haunted me for years until I understood this verse. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Now here's how it happened. A few months ago, I shared with you how I went from being a fan of God to being a follower of God. As I was entering grad school, I began a new life of following God. I was, as the Bible says, born again. A group of students were kind enough to disciple me in the faith. And while in grad school, God called me into ministry. So after grad school, I had to go back to school and go back to seminary and start all over. <laughs> now, Sandy and I were married, and at the end of seminary, we decided we need to minister uh, with the organization, the Christian group that discipled me. So we packed up our little family and we headed to California to be trained in campus ministry. While there, I met with a group of staff who were learning to reach athletes for Christ. They were being trained at the same facility where we were being trained for campus ministry. And I became friends with them and they invited me to a national conference that they were having. The last night we were there, they had the keynote speaker and we were all in a stadium. Thousands of, of young people and the, the speaker was down on the field, on the podium, and I remember the scene. And the keynote speaker was a member of the Denver Broncos, and he gave the closing address, and it turned my life around. His message was based on this very same verse. Here's what he said. When I come on the field before a game, the stands are full of fans, and they're clapping, and they're yelling, and they're jumping up and down, and they're screaming, and they're waving banners. Basically, they were going nuts. Before the official starts the game, he said, I have a time of prayer. I forget the crowd. I forget the crowd. I ignore the fans. I close my eyes, and I imagine there's only one person in the entire stadium, in the stands. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, there's no one else there, just Jesus. He says, and then I pray that everything I do, everything I say, my attitudes, everything will honor that one fan the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what the crowd does. I'm focused on honoring Jesus. And I pray. I pray 
that I'll avoid doing anything or saying anything that would bring shame on the name of Jesus. Then as the game starts, I set out to do my best to bring him the glory and the honor. Well, his message just transformed my whole attitude about how to face stressful situations. I learned that the most important thing is focusing on pleasing God, bringing no shame to his name, and not focusing on self, but focusing on Jesus. And I was delivered from that torment that I had been in bondage to for decades. Placing Jesus replaced the fear of shame and the chains were broken. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you today. We have a lot of things on our minds. We have a lot of events facing it in our lives. We have decisions to make, jobs to be done. But we pray in the midst of all that we face, we'll seek to bring no shame to your name, but we'll seek to honor you in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.